This Dharma talk was recorded at Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. Hey, good morning. I uh, so my Sunday talks, I uh, vary the text. Often I give a talk that really I only get halfway through a text, but the next month I move on something new. I'm exposing us all to a <clears throat> smorgasbord of teachings and teachings that ultimately kind of say the same thing, but <laughs> to get them from different angles, slightly different cultures. Uh, we had a Zen field trip to a confluence Zen Center in St. Louis, and uh, Taigaku Rume Roshi is a student. Well, he lived in Japan a very long time in the training monastery. Uh, and his teacher, Seke Arata Roshi, um, also had a teacher. And that, well, okay, in Soto Zen, people have actually many, often many teachers. But one of them I've never heard of, uh, Gian Inoue. Um, but uh, Rume Rossi had sent me a copy of this book, which he translated. Um, so I decided to take a dive in this. It's uh, it's a text written by Keizan Senji, who was uh, fourth generation of Japan after Dogen, but Keizan was extremely influential in spreading Soto Zen throughout Japan, and he opened a different monastery in a different part of Japan called Sojiji. So Eheji and Sojiji are the two main Soto Zen monasteries. Uh, when I went to Japan for a ceremony, uh, recognizing my brown robe. Um, there were ceremonies, identical ceremonies at both the Heiji and Sojiji, a series of ceremonies from four in the morning to eight in the morning. <laughs> Similar in both places, but different. So they have different styles. So uh, this is a pretty famous book, the Keizan Senshi wrote the Den Kuroku, which covers the lives of everyone in the lineage from Buddha to present. But I had never, Katagiri, I don't remember him ever teaching from it, and uh, I hadn't read it yet. But it makes an emphasis on the awakening, the enlightenment experiences. So the chapter I read for today is on the enlightenment experience of the Buddha. Um, and then very famous, the next uh, person in the lineage, Mahakashapa, had a very famous enlightenment experience when the Buddha just held up a flower, didn't say anything. And Mahakashapa smiled and Buddha mm -hmm. said, the Dharma has been transmitted to the next 
kind of generation based on one flower and one smile. Uh, that's very famous. I might I might go ahead and study that one too. <laughs> but okay, and that, Rumei Roshi mentioned he thought this book's a little. It's in Soto Zen, but it's a little controversial for some Soto Zen people because it really stresses the Enlightenment experiences. Um, that's kind of downplayed with most Soto traditions. It's more Rinzai traditions that emphasize Enlightenment. Um, so in the introduction, uh, the biography of a Gian in a way, okay, he was born in the late 1800s, died in 1981. So he started teaching in his 30s. Um, so we taught in Japan in the 1900s, which shouldn't be that long ago. Uh, he entered a monastery when he was 13. In reading his biography, he did a ridiculous amount of training, <laughs> quite a few teachers. Um, but I got this from the preface, a couple of prefaces written by others and teachers. It says, so this is a book of his commentaries that were recorded in Japan, recorded and transcribed. He gave them to a youth group, a Zen youth group, over many years. Um, oh, also, anyways, Roshi's, he had five sons that all entered the training monasteries as teenagers. So I'm just struck, this is a culture very supported in Japan. Uh, but said, although Great Master Guillen seems to be commenting on the words of Kaysen Zenji and Dogen Zenji, he is in fact simply stating the truth of the universe that transcends the boundaries of Buddhist sects and the Buddha Dharma. That is the reason this book is entitled Formless Record Transmission of Illumination. So I'm not going to be following the story of Buddha and his enlightenment, I'm going to be more reading this teacher's take on our human situation and uh, what Zen has to offer. And another introduction written by his son that kind of explains the essence of this says, when asked, what is this? Okay, this is a big thing in Zen. <laughs> what is this? What is this? What? What? Keep asking what? This. This present moment. Um, when asked what is this, people don't know the reality. People who don't know the reality will think in their head about what is this, throwing away the reality of the moment. That is the way they live. Well, that's the way we live. We, we constantly throw away the reality of the moment 
and try to think, 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 think. If you ask about the reality of the world under your feet and the nature of the mind of the way, the answer can only be found in what you are touching now. There is no other way to ask or do anything about it. Since the time of Shakyamuni Buddha, the eyes of all the successive generations of Buddha's ancestors have been on the same one point. This is the sole and most important point in practicing the way of Buddha. This is the great matter of the Buddha's way. It is vital that you know the essentials of Buddhist practice, which Gyan Roshi clearly demonstrates with his whole body-mind. So these realizations refer to an experience that the whole body feels. <laughs> it's not just a thought. Our practice relates to our, our whole body-mind. And being radically present is what it's about. Um, and I could stop the talk here. <laughs> However, so we constantly tell ourselves that thinking's the most important thing. If I could just think differently, think more clearly, I'm sure I could strategize. Freedom from from my any uh, psychological habitual little torments we may have. You know, I'm sure I can like. It's just a matter of thinking, <laughs> and this is what the whole society is. What are we all? It's all us humans, because uh, our mind is thinking a lot and. Uh, uh, so, because we're, we have lots of propaganda to keep seeing the world this way, and we already have an automatic response to see the world this way, then there's lots of books. This is going to be volume one of four volume, where I believe, in a way, Roshi will kind of be making the same point. <laughs> so... <laughs> We need to hear, like our our rational mind is like keeps needing to hear. You know, it's not about the rational mind. <laughs> so, but our main practice, of course, is zazen. So, sitting in silence with the posture of the Buddha, um, very naturally, the. Uh, Process, the process occurs. So it awakens us, uh, softens us, uh, makes us question, hopefully. And then outside of that end, then occasionally, 
regularly. We study texts that that make this point. So, uh, but I always, you know, I'll be ending at uh, 10.30. And since I'm reading, I say you have to, reading's a little bit dead, so you have to make an effort to apply yourself to So here's what he says. Conventional human life all takes place within people's opinions and thoughts. Everyone says they are alive. The ability to know I am alive is called the conscious mind, the discerning knowing mind. This conscious mind is the most precious mind for most of you, calling it reason or intelligence, people think the highest quality, think it is the highest quality of the human mind. You all live by means of this conscious mind. However, once you see how things really are, you will know reason and intelligence bring the greatest harm. This conscious mind is the root of delusion. Human reason and, and intelligence mislead and confuse you. They disturb and perplex you, and nobody is aware of this. Isan Zenji also did not understand this at first. On attaining great enlightenment, however, he clearly saw that these things are poison. So uh, this strikes me as so radical. Um, however, I see this, you know, this teaching is presented in many, many ways. Um, but you could see it. I don't know, right? speculation, speculation. Um, and then just hearing, that's why the media, internet, so dangerous people just hear something. They just believe it because they heard it. And then they start speculating. So, uh, I mean, I, I had this, I had a father, most of us had a father. Um, my father kind of talked constantly and he was just, using reason to speculate about the way things are the way they are. But even as a teenager, well, of course, as a teenager, maybe I could see, you're just speculating, you know? It sounds logical, but you're just making it up. You know? But that's what, that's what we do. Easier to see it in others, perhaps. Easier to see it in others we disagree with. But uh, we're living in this world, it's this imaginary world. And of course, there's many wonderful things about 
the conscious mind, and we it's it's very good for certain things. But when it destroys our sense of presence, uh, it's not so good. And an awakening experience seems to be a point where you that you realize. <laughs> so you probably then become less fooled by your obsessive this little sandcastle in the sky that uh, that we're creating. Dr. Mani Buddha was also deceived by himself because of the conscious mind. Uh, therefore, in the first six years of his wandering life in the forest, he underwent severe ascetic practice, but found that this only led to tormenting the conscious mind, and torturing the body without any beneficial effect at all. This is what he came to understand. So what remained? The whole human being, Roshi points to his body. The original condition of this thing, body-mind just as it is, is the true form of oneself. As I said recently, no one is aware of their own birth. No one knows they are born for the world into which they are born. No one knows about the world which is born together with them. No one knows that they are alive. This is our essential nature. This is not a matter that is thought out. This is how we are prior to thinking. It is only because we happen to have the conscious mind that we have made all of those realities into ideas. We fabricate me by conceptualizing the real thing. And the dream of me begins. We start to live in thoughts. Once that dream starts, we fabricate the entire world using the dream made of thoughts. This is the current condition of human beings. For all the people in the world, other than those who truly know the way of Buddha, there is nothing they can do about the self. People don't know their essential nature then it is impossible for them to save themselves. Such a great problem remains. So we're all very much dreaming. But when we are born, we haven't adapted. We haven't picked up this habit quite yet. But as the mind uh, develops, and as society tells us this is what our culture is, uh, we, we that very naturally turn out this way. I, in my last talk, I was using the words like beyond, no, leap beyond your present understanding, but 
beyond a little, sounds like we're going to go somewhere. It sounds like we're going to leave. But this is, uh, and he has this phrase in here that uh, I often use. Um, no, I don't see it. Well, what is the world before we think? So this, there is a world before we think about it. Uh, there is a body and a mind before we think about it. So we're just, you know, curious, you know, what what is reality just be outside of me talking to myself? Originally, as I have said, no one knows that they are born or are alive. In other words, human beings exist as the six object fields. The six sense organs unavoidably function in relation to the six object fields. This is called Dharma. Shakyamuni Buddha saw that this is our original condition, and he therefore let go of thinking. Without thinking or doing anything, he entrusted himself completely to the original condition of the body-mind and sat in meditation. As I just said, there is the practice of shikantaza, which is called zazen. When Shakyamuni Buddha was sitting in zazen like this, the conscious mind truly died. The bottom of the conscious thinking mind dropped out and the conscious mind died completely. And when dying completely, that's in the text. Uh, Roshi claps his hands. With this one sound, consciousness returns, doesn't it? In Shakyamuni Buddha's case, the light of the morning star hit his eyes. That instant, he suddenly realized a world that is truly one, to the extent that he wasn't aware of the oneness. For the very first time, he attained the true nature of himself that is completely untouched by human conscious life. This is Shakyamuni saw the morning star and awakened the way. He penetrated to the origin of us all. He then knew that everyone was in the same condition as he was. He fully understood that not only Shakyamuni Buddha, but everyone was like this. That is why this is the liberation of all sentient beings. For this reason, any power that is seen in worldly terms is useless for penetrating this matter. This is something I would like all of you to be aware of. Following Shakyamuni Buddha saw the morning star and awakened to the way, it says, well, this is what Shakyamuni Buddha said when he had this experience, as he reports it. He was the only one there. 
but he, he knows what he said. <laughs> he said, I, together with the great earth and sentient beings, simultaneously attain the way. After his enlightenment, he realized, I see. Everything is working in such perfect harmony that there is no need to struggle as I have been doing up to now. Then, looking at the condition of other people, he thought, they are just like me. From morning till night, they live in such a way that it isn't necessary to struggle. Well, living within such a doubtless condition, however, a doubt somehow arises about life. This is how it had been previously for Shakyamuni Buddha. In a similar way to how he had suffered because of the conscious mind, all people were having difficulty just because they were deceived by the conscious mind. This is what Shakyamuni Buddha understood. It was only after this that he went on to say, I, together with the great earth and sentient beings, simultaneously attain the way. This foundation is clearly grasped, then for the first time it is possible to offer some practical guidance. Please keep this point in mind. Practical guidance, well, I was going to start a list of the many dozens of ways to frame being in the present moment. Um, uh, another commentary on the statement. So the statement of Buddha, he, he starts with the word I. But this I is a little different meaning. So there was a commentary that said when you, the word I is like a, a part of a net. And when you say the word I, it's attached to the whole net. It's the whole, I refers to the whole universe. Nothing has ever been separate. Nothing has ever not existed. It's all existed together. So maybe we don't need to be so worried about the word I. If <laughs> we know, it, it always refers. I would say, psychologically, um, I refers to an ego, but uh, I think scientifically, <laughs> the truth, I refers to the whole, whole universe. You realize that however splendid a person's opinions, I'm just letting that sink in again, splendid, splendid opinions, they are worth next to nothing for penetrating the one great matter. Therefore, he completely threw away his opinions and thoughts and simply sat in zazen. And then at a certain moment, on the eighth day of the last month of his 30th year, when the morning star emerged, 
he realized he was a cosmic person. All things come about by means of the way itself. In terms expressed in the meaning of practice and verification, Shishogi, this is the one great matter that is the conditional causation, interdependent origination in accordance with the law of cause and effect. He truly realized that everything, including himself, arises interdependently through an intricate chain of circumstances. In other words, everything that exists comes into being interdependently is determined by the law of cause and effect. He truly grasped this. It is expressed in the following statement. He suddenly awakened to the way, and his very first lion's roar consisted of these words. I, together with the great earth and all sentient beings, simultaneously attain the way. In other words, he proclaimed that all sentient beings are completely and perfectly endowed with the wisdom, virtue, and form of the Tathagata, Shakyamuni Buddha. After that, for 49 years, Shakyamuni did not dwell alone for a single day. There was not even a short time when he did not preach the Dharma for the congregation. Shakyamuni Buddha couldn't help but teach everyone because they were all tormenting themselves with trivial matters. The Buddha understood that the cause of such suffering is this conscious mind. And so in all places, he taught people how to truly throw this away. Well, this is very much a Zen interpretation of the Buddha teaching, but it's, well, I believe it's the main point. That's why I, I do the Zen thing. <laughs> so sometimes I believe, well, well, we're experiencing this whether we know it or not. Thoughts are constantly leaving. And I believe anybody who can sit Zazen for more than a couple minutes is sensing. You may not believe it, but you're already getting some of this relief. But this relief is um, kind of being endlessly deepened and cultivated. I said one of a deep experience is kind of the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of further further cultivation. Sh 
document is bearing during that lifetime became the standard for his bereaved disciples. So it might have been kind of easier to practice when Shakyamuni Buddha was, was present. So pretty sad to see him go. Um, but he left a uh, standard for how to live. This means that what he and his disciples realized in the transmission of the Dharma should be a model for all to follow. This is the definitive version with nothing lacking. This is what is taught in Zen. Although, uh, and what I'm reading, he goes to the text and, and back to his commentaries. I, that's why it sounds a little funny here. He says, this is from the text. Although he was fully equipped with the 32 marks and 80 pleasing features, he always took the appearance of an old monk no different from other people. This is simply saying that as a person, Shakyamuni Buddha was endowed with all the highest attributes of a human being. So there is this difference between him and someone who is not endowed with these pleasing features, such as someone like me. And yet, in either case, all people are masters of the universe. Whether someone is tall or otherwise, in the same way, each person lives their life assimilating the universe. In that regard, there is no difference. So all humans are in the same situation. This is available to all humans, and we should really work against our tendency to disregard some humans. And the shocking line here, um, All people are masters of the universe. Hmm. Oh, yeah, we're all experiencing life through us. And so dropping away. Dropping away concepts, conceptual prison, she suggests. Um, it's uh, pretty empowering. Um, and once again, I, we have moments of this when we're we're present. In a pretty radical way. And then, well, life's at that point. It's less overwhelming to the extent 
we can get it. It's a very poetic phrase. <laughs> you are the master of the universe with the taste. And he explains, although the Buddha, you know, had many sutras, he includes the Mahayana and the Tripadika, he said, no matter what the Buddha taught, these teachings are all an explanation of you. All sutras are an explanation of you. All of you are just like what is written in the sutras. So it isn't a matter of studying something new to you from now on. It is to realize yourself how you already are. This is an important point. Shakyamuni Buddha, too, was born from this eye. Talking about the phrase. And it was not only Shakyamuni Buddha who was born, the great earth and sentient beings were all born from this. As I said before, the whole universe comes out as something in life that doesn't know its own birth, nor that it is alive, nor where it exists. This is where everything comes out. This way, this is the way it is right now. You are alive, but you don't know how you came to be. And yet, whether you like it or not, you are one with the environment, capable of great activity. Just because you don't know the true form of yourself, you hold on to the small self and experience problems by making a fuss about it. This is the way all people are at the present time. You know, there's books. Um, well, there's a book I never read, but I, I think I understand it from the title. Um, it's called Who Moved My Cheese? Okay. A story I think it's telling maybe uh, it worked. The refrigerator you share with people and you you set your personal food item on a shelf, but other people were had all their personal food items in the refrigerator, so they're they moved, they moved your personal item slightly to maybe reach their personal item. And then you go, the person goes in and like, you know, freaks out. Somebody touched my individual package of cheese and moved it maybe a couple inches. And I think you can imagine. So like road rage, um, but in our lives, very much. Um, well, it's, it's often good to share your life with somebody because they can they can point that out <laughs> to, to you too. But you can see this um, complaining about trivial. Well, what's what's trivial and what's not? Very good question. 
And then psychologically, yeah, this well, this really alive for us, this teaching, because some psychologically some people would say, well, if you well, I'm sure we all have a habit called denial, which is kind of where we want to build our story and where we don't want to deal with stuff. And uh, some people will say, yeah. The Zen teaching of deciding which things aren't as substantial and are somewhat trivial could be used as a way to not, to avoid conflict, to uh, not naturally express the life force rising within us kind of be dishonest about what the life force is bringing up and so that that's a good question but on the other hand um well the main hand it's uh try it try it i think i'll uh Gotta check the time here. So I'm gonna skip to the end. Um, what I marked here. He says, if it doesn't come from your own experience, it is worthless. It is useless to study the words of other people and think, well, yes, um, if that is this case, when Zhu Fang attained the way at Tortoise Mountain, it was just like this. Danto had given Zhu Fang a difficult time, criticizing him for referring to past experiences and to things that people long ago had said. Yanto told Zhu Feng not to borrow other people's words. With whose mouth are you speaking right now? Teacher asked his student. They were talking about Zen. So it's like, yeah, there was this story about this enlightenment experience. And yeah, I've had these experiences. Um, here's what happened to me, a story we built around it. Uh, you know, just very what that's what this conscious mind does. You know. It's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. But as teacher said, with whose mouth are you speaking right now? Hearing this for the first time, Sui Fang truly attained the way. This is to say that it is worthless to study Buddha Dharma or to study Zen. He didn't say this is not to say. He said this is to say it is worthless to study Buddha Dharma or to study Zen. It is only a matter of this thing, body-mind, the true form of this thing. If we can truly be taught by this thing, then anyone can awaken. 
As I have said, we are already this way, and there is no need to do anything about it. It is certain that there will be liberation. So our teacher is our body and our mind, through which we Uh, have experiences we with things outside of our body and mind, other people's bodies and minds, and the whole world, but it's filtered, tends to get filtered through our senses. And then as soon as something hits our senses, we're kind of off to the races in terms of how it fits into this reality we've built ourselves. So by seeing what we're doing, repeatedly, and there was a phrase that's in having faith, having faith in the way things are, and opening to the way things are. is how we learn. All the books, all the talks, which their main point is to turn us towards having faith in faith and curiosity and energy into examining our, our real experience. You've been listening to a Dharma Talk from Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. To learn more about us or to make a donation, visit us at prairiemountain.org.